Welcome to episode 130 of the Fredcast Cycling Podcast for July the 2nd, 2009. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this week's episode of the Fredcast, a former deputy cries and apologizes in the Northern California death of two cyclists. Texas governor vetoes a cycling bill, Louisiana governor signs a cycling bill, and Australia passes a tough measure against cyclists. Plus, there's a little race coming up in France. Following the news, an interview with Dr. Alan Lim from Team Garmin Slipstream, an interview with Ken Wallace and coach Richard Wharton, and of course, Podsafe Cycling Music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike hammer just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Fredcast. Great to have you here with us once again. Here's our old friend Graham Street, our sponsor, to tell you about a special offer he's got just for Fredcast listeners. Graham? Hey, Fredcast listeners and fellow ready cyclists. This is Graham Street, owner for CycleClub.com. I don't know about you, but my time to get out and ride for three, four, five, six hours to prepare for a century or the death ride that I have coming up in July. 15,000 feet of climbing, 129 miles. This thing's a monster. And I only have so much time in a day or a week to train. So although I do this for a living, I got two young kids, I got a beautiful wife, I got a global company to run. My time is limited just like yours is. I have created for you, the everyday cyclist, a new seven-day training, nutrition, and technique module complete with all the workouts, tips, secrets, nutrition strategies, and things you never thought of ever to redefine how you build endurance and climbing strength. So if you have an upcoming century, MS tour, epic ride, lots of hills, you're a little worried about the training and nutrition, how to dial it in, Go to thefredcast.com right now. I have a banner at the top, a special for Fredcast listeners. You can come in and get my new Go Longer, Climb Stronger in 7-Day Training and Nutrition Module for $10.95. Why so cheap? Because I know once you try my workouts, tactics, and secrets, you will become a definitive Cycle Club member, just like tens of thousands of cyclists from around the world. Go to thefredcast.com right now. Let's go longer and climb stronger together. This is a great deal at any price, but for $10.95 with just a limited number of them available, this is a fantastic deal. In the next seven days, you'll be able to redefine your endurance, explode your climbing strength and technique, and get the proven nutrition secrets, tips, and workouts to go the distance and feel great in the hills. Hey, listen, if you're getting ready for an MS bike tour, a century, a double century, a double metric, any sort of an endurance ride, this is the program for you. Make sure you go through the fredcast.com to get the special link to get this for $10.95. Thanks to Graham Street and Cycle Club for sponsoring the Fredcast, and thank you for supporting Graham and Cycle Club, our sponsor. Well, let's get right down to the news. And topping our news is a story we've talked about here on the Fredcast time and time again since March 9th of 2008, when Matt Peterson from San Francisco and Christy Goff from San Leandro were struck and killed by James Council, a Santa Clara County Sheriff's deputy at the time. As you'll recall, the crash happened when 
Christy and Matt were out for a Sunday morning training ride, and when Council's Ford Crown Victoria Cruiser crossed the center line on Stevens Canyon Road in Cupertino, California, and struck not only Christy and Matt, but a third cyclist as well. Peterson died at the scene. Goff died a short time later at the hospital. The third cyclist was badly injured, but thankfully survived. In his sentencing, counsel told the court, I take full responsibility for this tragic accident and know that there's nothing I could ever say or do to replace their loss. Truly, and from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. This was the first time that counsel had made any public statements after the accident, after having been demoted by the sheriff's department. And his comments came after several in the courtroom were allowed to let him know exactly how they felt about what he did, including Christie's mom, Karen Clarkson, who said, I haven't felt any remorse from the person who killed my daughter. Betty Peterson Uh, Matt Peterson's mother told counsel in the courtroom, Matt and Christy are still dead, and you still bear this burden on your shoulders. The sentence in the case was decried by many in the cycling community community and also uh, among the family and friends of the two who were killed because counsel got four months in jail and 800 hours of community service. The judge saying that it was understood that the punishment was woefully inadequate to ease the sorrow and that it does not reflect the value of the victims. Despite that, uh, the district attorney and the judge stood by the sentence as saying that it was fair and that counsel did not get preferential treatment for the fact that he had been a sheriff's deputy at the time of the crash. As a matter of fact, it was noted in the articles online that counsel received this punishment because there was no evidence of drug or alcohol use or that he was driving recklessly at the time. And we've talked previously on the Fredcast about what may have contributed to the accident was the fact that he had pulled essentially what was a double shift. However, John Orban, chairman and CEO of Third Pillar, said of the deputy, quote, he got a sweetheart deal. He said that the message was, quote, that if you're in law enforcement, you're above the law. He also said that, quote, a civilian would not have been treated in the same manner. Meanwhile, in Texas, Texas Governor Rick Perry stunned the cycling community when he vetoed a safe passing law that would have given cyclists and other so-called vulnerable road users a three-foot buffer zone, as has been instituted in many other states around the United States. In vetoing the bill, Perry, who actually recently broke his collarbone in a mountain biking accident, was quoted as saying, while I'm in favor of measures that make our roads safer for everyone, this bill contradicts much of the current statute and places the liability and responsibility on the operator of a motor vehicle when encountering one of these vulnerable road users. He also said, in addition, an operator of a motor vehicle is already subject to penalties when he or she is at fault for causing a collision or operating recklessly, whether it is against a vulnerable user or not. Speaking for the Texas Bicycle Coalition, Robin Stallings, the executive director of Bike Texas, said, quote, we're stunned because he's our guy and we feel disappointed, even betrayed by our guy. Stallings went on to say the bicycling community will never forgive Governor Perry. And just to the east, 
Louisiana Governor Bobby Jindal signed into law House Bill 725, creating the so-called Colin Goodyear Protection Act, a law that was named after a New Orleans and Baton Rouge physician who was killed while riding his bike on River Road in Iberville Parish in Louisiana. This bill requires drivers to leave a, quote, safe distance of not less than three feet, unquote, while passing a cyclist, a distance that must be maintained until the vehicle is safely past the bike. Violators could be punished by a maximum $250 fine, and this becomes effective August 15th. It also makes it a violation for anyone in a vehicle to, quote, harass, taunt, or maliciously throw objects at or in the direction of any person riding on a bicycle. In that case, violators could be sent to jail, I love that, for up to 30 days or find a minimum of $200. I love these three-foot passing laws. I think they're great, but I really like this one that could put somebody in in jail for up to 30 days for throwing objects at a cyclist as someone who has had that happen. And I know many of you out there have had the same thing happen to you. Really have to say thank you to Governor Jindal for signing this law and say what the heck to Governor Perry of Texas. And while we're on the subject of laws, here's a tough new law about cyclists that has been passed recently in Victoria, Australia. Cyclists found to have killed or seriously injured a pedestrian will now face penalties of up to five years in jail or a $68,000 fine. And this would place cyclists on the same par as motorists for a similar offense. According to Roads Minister Tim Pallas, quote, cyclists need to recognize that if they do occasion damage, they have responsibilities. Now, According to Pallas, he said that these new penalties will help police tackle reckless riding by cyclists. He went on to say, we're driving home to cyclists the need for them to obey road laws or be punished. Then he said this, and this I thought was just a really sort of interesting comment. He said, quote, cycling is becoming a legitimate form of transport, but with this recognition comes increased responsibility. The government will come down hard on bad behavior because there's a real consequence. Now, where does all of this come from? Well, it comes from the fact that a couple of pedestrians have been killed by cyclists over the last 10 years. In 2006, James Gold, who was 77 years old, was killed by a cyclist on a ride called the Hell Ride. And in the year 2000, a pedestrian was killed when a cyclist ran a red light. Included in the new law that went into effect are other penalties, including $284 or seven days prison if property is damaged by a cyclist and the rider doesn't immediately stop and offer assistance, $13,610 or 12 months in prison for dangerous riding, and I'm not quite sure how they quantify dangerous riding, $681 for careless riding, and I don't know the difference again between dangerous and careless riding, And again, $68,052 or five years in prison if a person is killed or seriously injured by a cyclist and the rider does not immediately stop and offer assistance. Now, under previous laws, cyclists could only be fined up to $567 for riding in a dangerous, reckless, or careless manner. Well, and leaving legal matters behind, it's time to start talking about professional cycling. And while there's a tiny race coming up in France in a couple of days, first I thought I'd bring you up to date on the final results 
of the tour of Switzerland that took place June 13th through the 21st since we didn't have a show last week. And this was really exciting at the finish because while Tadej Valjevic of Slovenia had been leading going into the final stage, which was an individual time trial on Sunday, June 21st, it was well-known time trialist Fabian Consolara who stormed away to victory in the Tour of Switzerland, winning his very first general classification in a stage race in his career. By the end of that individual time trial that was 39 kilometers long, Consolara had won the general classification in 33 hours, 5 minutes, and 51 seconds. Second place was Tony Martin from Germany and Team Columbia High Road. He was 2 minutes, 2 seconds back. Third place in the general classification going to Roman Kreuziger of the Czech Republic, 2.24 back. Fourth, Andreas Kloden from Germany and Team Astana, 2.50 back. And fifth, Vladimir Karpets from Russia and Team Katusha, 3 minutes, 18 seconds back. Sixth place, Damiano Cuniego from Italy and Team Lamprey, 3.23 behind Fabian Consolara. And seventh, the former leader, Tadej Valjevic from Slovenia and AG2R Le Mondial, 3 minutes, 45 seconds back. After the race, Fabian Consolara told reporters, quote, I had to go really deep and hurt myself on the uphill finishes in the last few days because I'm not a climber. Thanks to some vital help from my teammates, I managed to limit my losses and set up my shot at overall victory. It was great to win in the final time trial like that and great to seal victory at home in front of my family and thousands of people who support me. Now, of course, next on the Agenda for Fabian Consolara is the Tour de France beginning this weekend, this Saturday, in fact, July 4th. And while he has his sights set on the opening time trial in the streets of Monaco, he said, quote, I'd love to try and win the Tour de France one day, but I'm not ready yet. And this year's race is very hilly. Hilly indeed. And we're going to talk about the Tour de France coming up next. But before we talk about the Tour de France, it's time to talk about another sponsor here on the Fredcast, a longtime sponsor and that is Audible. Did you know that there are over 60,000 titles available for you to listen to on Audible? And hey, let's face it, we are all very, very busy, especially this month as we all settle down to watch the Tour de France, whether we're watching it live or we're watching the recap later on in the evening. Well, it's just there's just not a lot of time left for recreational reading. But we all have our commutes and our training sessions on the bike, and it's a perfect time to catch up on our reading, and Audible is the place to do it. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling, and you're going to get a free two-week trial of Audible and a free audio book. This month, what would I recommend? Well, something I've recommended before, either one of Lance Armstrong's books, It's Not About the Bike, My Journey Back to Life, or... Every second counts. Both are unabridged. I've actually listened to both on Audible, and they are absolutely riveting. Whether whether you're a Lance fan or you're not a Lance fan, there is a lot to learn in reading or listening to these books through Audible. Once again, go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling. Whether you've read these books before and you want to find something else, you're going to find over 60,000 titles. And any of these can go on your iPod, your iPhone, your Zune, your Zen, your GPS device in your car, and plenty of other electronic devices Audible is a great way to read books and one of my favorite ways to stay up on my reading. Once again, audiblepodcast.com slash cycling. 
and we thank Audible for their support of the Fredcast. Well, it is that time of the year, once again, the time that cyclists get absolutely no sleep as we get up early in the morning to watch the stage, stay up late in the evening to watch the recap. It's always exciting. It's time for the Tour de France, perhaps the most difficult sporting event in the world, perhaps one of the most well-known and most watched around the world as well. This year's race runs from Saturday, July 4th through Sunday, July the 26th. It's the 96th Tour de France. There are 21 stages and a distance of 3,500 kilometers. Over those stages, there's 10 flat stages, seven mountain stages, one medium mountain stage, two individual time trials, and one of my favorites in the Tour de France, there's one team time trial, plus two rest days, as typical, 55 kilometers of individual time trials, and three mountaintop finishes, including the penultimate stage on Mont Ventoux. As is typical, we'll be seeing the Pyrenees and the Alps this year. Some of my favorite climbs this year, the Col de Petit Saint-Bernand, the Col du Grand Saint-Bernand, the Cormet de Roseland, the Col de Ceci, I've ridden that one, I love that one, the Col de Colombière, and of course, the hors catégorie, beyond category, Mont Ventoux, 21.1 kilometers at an average of 7.6% grade. This year's tour includes three former winners, of course, Lance Armstrong, his teammate Alberto Contador, and last year's winner, Carlos Sastre from the Cervelo Test team. He'll be wearing rider number one. Plus, some more podium people, as I like to call them, guys like Cadell Evans, Levi Leipheimer, Dennis Menchov, Andreas Cloden, among my favorites this year, I've got to put Sastre and Contador for sure. Menchov looking very strong at the Giro d'Italia this year. Um, and Andy Schleck. Andy Schleck, the younger of the two Schleck brothers, is going to be leading my favorite team, Team Saxobank, this year. And judging by how he looked in last year's Tour de France, I would say that he definitely at least is an outside shot at a podium finish in this year's Tour. Now, what of former Tour de France winner Alberto Contador and the fact that he's on the same squad as seven-time winner Lance Armstrong? There's been a lot of speculation in the press uh, and among cyclists about who would lead Team Astana at this year's race. Well, parenthetically, I can tell you one person who's not going to be is Chris Horner. Uh, honestly, I think Horner got robbed. Uh, he is not going to be on the Astana squad this year, and I think that that is just a shame. But meanwhile, who's leading Astana this year? Will it be Contador? Will it be Armstrong? Well, that answer came just a few days ago when it was announced that Alberto Contador will be the team leader for Team Astana in the 2009 Tour de France with Lance Armstrong in a support role. Whether we see him doing domestique duties, gathering water bottles at the team car, and bringing them up for Contador remains to be seen. Johan Bruniel was quoted as saying, quote, it's hard to find a better stage race rider than Alberto. He's worked very hard, earning the right to represent our team as the leader in July. As for Lance Armstrong, Bruniel said, quote, I'm very happy with where Lance's form is leading up to the tour. I think racing the Giro was a very smart decision and really prepared him 
for July. He is extremely motivated for the Tour de France. As for me, I'm not quite sure about what's going to happen with Astana. Yes, Contador goes into the individual time trial, the beginning stage and the grand depart of the Tour de France in Monaco on Saturday. However, I think depending on what happens on the roads in the first week, week and a half, will determine whether or not Astana will continue to work for Contador or whether Lance Armstrong or perhaps Levi Leipheimer will step up and end up leading the team into Paris on July the 26th. I think that beyond the general drama that occurs in the Tour de France and all of the stories that go on in the soap opera that is this three-week event, I think we're going to have a mini soap opera on our hands just watching Astana and seeing whether or not they're going to be unified behind Contador, whether there'll be a split with some behind Contador and some behind Armstrong, or whether something will happen along the way that will catapult Armstrong or even perhaps Leipheimer into the team leadership. Speaking of Armstrong, Bjarne Ries, the man in charge of Team Saxobank, had a few things to say about Lance Armstrong, the 37-year-old coming into this year's Tour de France. Ries was quoted as saying, Lance is obviously not too old. He'll probably be very good and play a great role in this tour. But, to be honest, to beat younger riders like Contador, Andy or Frank Schleck in the climbs, I don't think it's possible. Reese went on to say, quote, Astana is a very impressive team, but I believe that if they want to win the tour, they should have just one leader, and it should be Contador. I'm not leading this team, but I guess that's the way they see it too. Otherwise, it'll be fun to watch. Commenting on his own team's chances, Reese went on to say, quote, I believe we have one of the best and one of the most homogeneous teams in this tour, and that Andy and Frank, meaning the Schleck brothers, will be at their best in the climbs. Judging by how the two of them did in the climbs in last year's Tour de France, I think that goes without saying. And what of Team Quickstep and their sprinter, Tom Bonin? As we've discussed here on the show, Bonin tested positive a second time in an out-of-competition test, testing positive for cocaine use. And since then, the Amori Sports Organization, the organizers of the Tour de France, have requested, well, they've basically banned Tom Bonin from this year's Tour de France, saying that he doesn't represent the image that the Tour de France is trying to represent. Bonin tried to appeal that decision with a French court, that court saying that it did not have jurisdiction. Bonin and Quickstep have then gone to the French Arbitration Chamber for Sport, which falls under France's National Olympic Committee. Tomorrow, Friday, July 3rd, Bonin will find out his fate, whether or not he'll be allowed to race in this year's Tour de France. Personally, I don't think he stands much of a chance, but it will be interesting to see what they decide. Meanwhile, every single one of the racers who will be participating in this year's Tour de France, all 180 of them, have now submitted blood samples to French anti-doping authorities from the French Anti-Doping Agency, or the AFLD. Interestingly, in addition to the 180 racers that have submitted their blood, there was one other racer who also submitted his blood, and that was Quickstep's Tom Bonin. In the eventuality that he is allowed to race, he has submitted his blood so that he cannot be disqualified for that reason. Meanwhile, 
AFLD President Pierre Bourdry recently told Reuters that certain riders are specifically being targeted in this year's Tour de France. Reasons include perhaps their biological passports have raised suspicion or they are top contenders in the race. And so according to the AFLD and Pat McQuaid from the UCI, there are around 50 racers who are being specifically targeted in this year's Tour de France. Who are they? Well, according to Bordry, quote, we're not going to warn people, but Pat McQuaid said that there were around 50 of them. Bordry went on to say, there's plenty of information coming to us. Some people talk, but not only that, there are many other sources. This passport is a tool that can be improved, but which is very useful to target riders. And you'll recall that several riders have been specifically targeted over the last year and have been caught as a result of those targetings and as a result of the biological passport program. There's no doubt, and we said this last year, but I think it's even more true now, there's no doubt that this year's Tour de France will be perhaps the most watched when it comes to doping. Hopefully, let me say that again, hopefully we will not have any scandals this year as we have had the past few years. And finally, about the Tour de France, JetBlue, the airline here in the United States, is offering two benefits for cyclists and cycling fans during July. First of all, as many of you know, JetBlue has seatback televisions, and they are dedicating Channel 37 on JetBlue to Versus, so that if you're traveling on the airline during the period of this year's Tour de France, you will not have to miss a moment of your favorite cycling race. Plus, and this one is great, if you're going anywhere on JetBlue and you want to take your bike this month, JetBlue is waiving their $50 bike fee for customers traveling from July 1st through July 31st, 2009. According to Sam Klein, Senior Analyst of Product Development for JetBlue Airways, quote, we continue to find ways to make the trip on JetBlue as enjoyable as the destination for our customers. And that means giving them more than the other guys. Whether it's a free checked bike to celebrate the race, more legroom, more free snacks and drinks, better customer service, or more access to the most talked about sporting events of the season. A lot can happen in the world of cycling on a six-hour long-haul flight, but thanks to our live satellite TV programming and our dedicated channel for Versus this July, our customers won't miss a single minute of the action. And for those of you who may be traveling this month and think that's kind of cool and you want to support JetBlue, JetBlue flies to New York City, Austin, Texas, Chicago, Illinois, Denver, Colorado, Portland, Oregon, Richmond, Virginia, Rochester, New York, San Diego, California, San Francisco, California, Los Angeles, Burbank, Long Beach, Seattle, and Salt Lake City, just to name a few. Well, as we go into the Tour de France, it's worth looking at where the current world rankings are in the world of professional cycling. Among the individuals currently in first place, Alejandro Valverde, who will not be at the Tour de France. The Castaparna rider with 295 points. In second with 263 points, uh, it's Alberto Contador from Team Astana. With 218 points from Rabobank. In third, it's Dennis Menchov. Fourth, Cadell Evans from Ceylon Salado with 217 points. And in fifth, Alan Davis from Quickstep with 205 points. As far as the team sitting in first place, Castaparna with 680 points. Second place, Team Columbia High Road with 614. In third, 
611 points. It's their Velotest team. And fourth, Astana with 604 points and 30 points behind them with 574. It's Team Likigas in fifth place. As far as our country standing, Spain in first place, second place, Italy, third, Australia, fourth, Germany, and fifth, the Russian Federation. Recently, the International Federation of Apparel Compliance has uncovered a top secret development group in Boulder, Colorado, known as the Speed Shop. And we now believe that this group has been producing and supplying performance-enhancing apparel to elite and pro-athletes for decades. So begins a YouTube video that has definitely gone viral, and it actually is an advertisement for Pearl Izumi and talks about some of their advancements in cycling apparel technology. Now, I'm not getting any endorsements from Pearl Izumi, but the video is hilarious, and I've got a link in the show notes to where you can find it. A couple of more clips from it that I think you'll find interesting. Cycling is supposed to be miserable. It is a natural obstacle of the sport. You are too cold, you are too hot, you are smelly, you are stinky. If you do not want to have these obstacles, then take the sport of watching some television. You may sit on your climate control room in your couch. Where is the courage? The entire video pokes fun at the whole anti-doping establishment, including the UCI and the anti-doping agencies. It's funny, it's informative, and i got to hand it to the folks at Pearl Izumi. They've put together something that is extremely entertaining. Most advertisements typically are not. This one, however, includes the so-called International Federation of Apparel Compliance Cops as they chase down cyclists and strip them of their cycling clothing, oftentimes leaving them bare-bummed and bound. There's something that does not smell right to the eyeball there. My thought exactly, but I think that you will enjoy this video despite the fact that it's an ad. The link is in the show notes at www.thefredcast.com. Well, now it's time to get just a little bit more serious here. You may have noticed that I put the Audible ad in the middle of the news today instead of at the end where it normally goes. And that's because while I'm essentially done with the news for this week, I've got a story I've got to tell you. And it's a story that, unfortunately, I see all too often as I'm going through the news reviewing for the show. I've told you this before. It seems like an overwhelming preponderance of the stories that I read week after week, day after day, about cycling, bicyclists, and bicycles is about the unfortunate circumstance when someone is killed or seriously injured when riding their bicycle. It seems like it's everywhere as I go through my news feeds. Well, this story touched home, and it touched home because this is the story of a gentleman by the name of Alton Sasso, and folks, I hope I'm saying Alton's last name correctly. Alton was a friend of several listeners to the Fredcast, longtime listeners to the Fredcast, and I got several emails from folks saying, Alton was just one of those guys who loved life. Um, Joel Price saying, if you rode near or with him, it showed. If you happened to be a cyclist on the other side of the street, he waved at you. He was that friendly guy. 
Um, Joel says that he and his brother Brock rode with Alton in the last Amtrak and Solvang centuries, and he was always fantastic to be around. He was truly a good guy, and he'll be seriously missed. Because unfortunately, Alton was recently struck and killed by a suspected drunk driver while out riding his bike. According to the news in the Bakersfield newspaper, Alton was 55 years old. He once rode to Canada by himself, and he was killed Monday night by a suspected drunk driver. He was in the right-hand lane of two southbound lanes when a Ford F-350 pickup driven by a 67-year-old named Douglas Kaiser struck him from behind. The incident happened at 8.43 p.m., and Kaiser left the scene but returned later when a driving under the influence investigation was begun. He was arrested on charges of vehicular manslaughter while driving drunk, felony drunken driving, and hit and run. According to the paper, Sasso was a 50-year-old in 2003 when he rode alone on a 1,367-mile cycling trip from Bakersfield, California to Victoria, British Columbia. The trip took him 16 days, four more than he had planned. He said he took the arduous trek to prove that he could do it and show that it was better to achieve something difficult rather than just be comfortable. In interviews about that trip, he talked about the importance of not making a mistake that would cost him his life. And perhaps prophetically, he said, a bicyclist has to pretend no one else can see him and then do everything to avoid a collision. Now, not only did I get the email from Joel Price, but I did get an email from his brother, Brock. Brock wanted me to hear and wanted you to hear a voicemail that Alton left just before he went riding. Brock saying that this summed up Alton's personality. Here is that voicemail. Hey, you hiding or riding, brother? You hiding or riding? Talk to me. I don't know where you're at, but I haven't seen you for the last couple of weeks. You hiding? You hiding from me, huh, brother? Okay. All right. Give me a call when you get a chance. I've been looking for you. I built a new bike. I haven't been riding either. I've been training people. I just, I've been really busy training people. I've had a lot of clients. So I haven't really gotten out and really rode, but I've been really busy. I've been working out, but I haven't been riding last week so things have slowed down today i just finished it's four o'clock i started at six this morning about 5 30 but i say six because that's when i can clock in and uh, it's been a tough day today you're lucky you got the whole weekend off for the holiday that's a great week to get off all right i'll talk to you later bye alton was 55 years old everyone who rode with him loved him thought he was a great guy right on alton we wish you smooth roads and tailwinds. A moment of silence for Alton Sasso. And that will do it for the news for this week's episode of the Fredcast. Now, before we get on with the features for this week's episode of the Fredcast, another bit of bad news, and that is that unfortunately we have had to cancel this year's Fredcast tour to the French Alps. This economy is killing people. And while we had just a ton of people who were very interested when it came down to the end of the day and putting their deposit down, they just weren't able to do it. And we had to, uh, we ran up against a deadline with the hotels where the hotels had to have a guarantee. And with 
just a couple of months to go before we were going to be heading out to the Alps. We just didn't feel right going with just a couple of people, and therefore, unfortunately, we have had to cancel this year's Fredcast tour to the Alps. However, we are looking at perhaps making a long weekend in Colorado, perhaps Vail or Aspen, where we might put together a climbing camp. I think that a lot of folks have told me that uh, while they want to go to France and they want to climb the Alps, just not going to happen this year. But if we could do something here in the States where they could get to easily and they wouldn't have to take off too much time from work, that that might fit the bill perfectly. So we're looking at that. Hope to have more information for you on the next show or perhaps the next one after that. We will be going back to Europe again next year. Hope that many of you will be able to join us. Well, coming up next, yesterday I had the great fortune of having a conversation via cell phone with Dr. Alan Lim. Now, many of you may know Dr. Lim for his pioneering work with power as it relates to cycling training. Dr. Lim now working with the Garmin Slipstream Squad. I had the opportunity to talk to him in advance of the grand depart of this year's Tour de France. Now, one warning before I get into the interview and present it to you, and that is I was on Skype, Dr. Lim was on a cell phone, I in Minnesota, he in Monaco, so forgive the audio, I cleaned it up as best I could, but there's some great information here. So here's my interview with Dr. Alan Lim. Well, joining us today on the Fredcast is Dr. Alan Lim. Lots of you may be familiar with Dr. Lim. He's a famous sports physiologist. He's got a lot of experience in cycling. He's done some pioneering work with power. And now he's the sports physiologist for the Garmin Slipstream team, talking to us from Monaco before the grand depart of the Tour de France. Dr. Lim, welcome to the Fredcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you here. You know, you're getting the team ready for a what is arguably the most difficult athletic event in the world. Tell me a little bit about yeah. the nutrition requirements for that and how you get the team ready. Um, you know, I mean, the nutrition is a, a huge aspect of it. You know, it's, uh, it's an integral part of what we do in addition to the, the training, the sleep, the tactics. You know, a big part of it is hiring the right chef, literally. Um, we have a, a guy named Sean Fowler who runs a fantastic restaurant uh, in the Pacheta Valley, uh, which is up in the Pyrenees in Spain. He's an American, and um, he's basically here cooking us some uh, amazing meals. Um, and we give him the direction in terms of what kind of nutrients, what we're looking for um, in terms of calories, you know, carbohydrates, um, fruits, vegetables, etc., and uh, he translates all of that into daily menus. So you literally have a chef that travels with the team for the entire event. That's right. That's right. We have a chef that travels with us for the entire event. Uh, he has an assistant with him who helps uh, prep and cook food as well, and he drives around in his own uh, his own camper that's loaded up with all sorts of supplies, foods, um, and typically uh, what he does is go from. Uh, hotel to hotel and cooks us uh, breakfast. He prepares a post-recovery meal that we bring onto the bus, and then he preps uh, a snack for the guys and they get back into the hotel, and then finally dinner. Now, what, what you talked about calories and, and things. What, what, how many calories sure. are the guys consuming in a typical di- racing day? A typical racing day, they may consume anywhere from 5,000 to 8,000 calories, depending upon the length of the stage. Uh, they'll burn on average about 3,500 to 4,000 calories just doing the stage. 
and then you can tack on to that uh, additional 3,000 calories or so just for, you know, keeping them alive and well and at, at proper race weight. Now, I've been following along on your Twitter feed, and, and uh, recently, I guess it was yesterday, the, the guys were eating some something that most Americans aren't used to, broccoli, horse, and potatoes. Tell me about that. Well, uh, broccoli, yeah, broccoli, potatoes, and uh, what was that last? Uh, well, uh, it, it last looked like... I, I, you broke up there. It looked like it said horse. Yeah, yeah, the, the guys had, had horse last night, and uh, while that's not typical... American fare. It is uh, a, a good source of protein. It is um, just like steak. Um, and while it may be, I think, culturally unusual for uh, us Americans, I don't think it's that culturally unique for um, any of the Europeans, especially uh, the Spanish who live up in the Pyrenees. And we're close, pretty close to that region. So just a question, why horse instead of beef? Uh, it's just like asking why why chicken instead of pork or why beef instead of fish. Uh, we try to keep a pretty diverse palate of food for the guys, uh, only so that they don't get bored and so that they stay interested in the food they eat. I think it's, a, it's important for us that the guys are eating uh, really healthy, delicious, uh, nutritious foods as it is you know, any particular nutrient or item. Um, and so we mix it up and uh, diversifying the, I guess, uh, you know, different types of ingredients or foods we choose is part of that. Sure, makes sense. Now, when they're out on the bike and they're racing, um, I know that Cliff mm-hmm. is one of your sponsors. Tell me a little bit about uh, how the guys are using those products when they're on the bike. Yeah, you know, when they're on the bicycle, a lot of what they need are just simple sugars, uh, a lot of quick energy. And so the Cliff products are such a component of that. The guys, for the most part, really love using the Cliff blocks. Um, they're uh, easy to eat. They're easy to get down. Uh, they're, they're, they're packaged well and easy to open. Um, so there's like the margarita salt blocks is a, a huge favorite for the guys. Um, the guys also use gels, um, especially when the... Uh, when the speed really turns up and things are really, really going, it's the quickest way for them to get a quick burst of energy. Um, and then on top of that, you know, there's uh, the different types of bars that they eat, um, you know, from the, from the cliff bars to the different new types of cookies to, you know, the, the whole the wide range of, um, you know, um, products that Cliff has. Uh, Ultimately, though, you know, it's about having diversity in, in, in the race food, and that's where the, the Cliff product is really nice. There's a whole range to select from. But we also do prepare uh, a different selection of uh, race foods as well on top of the Cliff product, usually uh, something in the savory department, um, you know, so like a, a rice and egg type of, uh, type of, type of you know, package that we, we, we wrap up the belly during the ride as well. So I've 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 been looking at some of the recipes that you've been putting together. This rice cake sounds really good. I read a quote by you that said that some of the guys will use these to broker deals. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You know, um, on the bicycle, it's about having a lot of different types of foods, and uh, one of the hardest types of rice foods to find is something salty, on something really savory. And the rice cakes are actually very salty, very savory. And so occasionally they might, um, you know, use the, the rice cakes to get some favors just because a, a lot of the guys in the Peloton really crave something salty in that department during a, uh, a long, hard day on the bicycle. 
Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's nice to know that guys enjoy enjoy the the the, the home cooked uh, variety there. Now, I also noticed that you put together um, some, something you call power potatoes and then something you call a pocket panini. I'm guessing that these are given out um, by the, you know, the, 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 the soigneurs out on the course when they're giving them their, their musettes. Um, are, are there certain yep. things that certain riders like more than some of the other riders? Um, you know, yeah, I, I don't know if the, if the guys, uh, I think they all... They, they like most of everything that we prepare, as long as it's fresh, as long as it tastes good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the potatoes are extremely easy, and I don't think anyone's really ha- ever had a problem with them. They're basically just, you know, a boiled potato with a bunch of salt, a little bit of olive oil, and some Parmesan cheese on top. So it's a, a really simple, bite-sized little nugget. Uh, the, the paninis or the little sandwiches are pretty easy to get down. You know, it's a simple, you know, white bread or, or Hawaiian type of little stuff with, like, Maybe a little bit of ham, some cream cheese, maybe some jam to make a nice, sweet, savory type of uh, sandwich. Um, you know, for the most part, I think the guys tend to favor the, the rice cakes, uh, especially if they're if they're fresh and I haven't if I, if I didn't screw them up that morning. Um, they're easy to eat. Uh, they're, they're they're salty, they're savory, um, and they they pack well. So um, yeah. And that, on top of all the the, the cliff products, I think uh, is a really nice combination. Well, it brings up a good question because, of course, a lot of the listeners they're they're fans, but they're also cyclists themselves, doing centuries and 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 you know metrics, mm-hmm. double metrics, double centuries. When you get sort of your everyday cyclist, and obviously they don't have somebody handing them musettes when they're out there on the road and they're doing their century, what do you recommend that that they eat while they're on the road during their event? Well, you know, I think that um, one thing that is is something that we tell the guys to do is when when the early in the race when they have a when it's a little less intense, depending upon you know who's assigned to try to go with breakaways or depending upon who might be attacking, um, we try to get the guys to eat real food in the beginning, something more complex and uh, something maybe a little saltier, and then towards the end of the race when things are going harder. Uh, we, we might shift to more simple sugars, gels, and, and uh, the cliff blocks, etc. And so that's a paradigm that I think a lot of, uh, you know, recreational athletes doing centuries or double centuries might be able to do is just literally pack food that they can eat, uh, that they prepare fresh in their pockets along with combinations of gels and blocks and other bars for saving their life so they can use the stuff that they uh, stay prepared for themselves early on and then switch to uh, the, the simpler sugars uh, later on when their bodies are really craving it. And then wh- what about for recovery for your, your average recreational cyclist? Uh, w- what should they be eating at the end of their century or their double? You know, I think the easiest thing to do is uh, just eat real food. Uh, a mixed diet, uh, carbohydrates, some protein, um, and plenty of fluid, I think, is, is ultimately the right recipe. Uh, what we feed the guys usually is a big bowl of... Uh, white rice or sushi rice. Uh, we might scramble a few eggs or, you know, have some uh, uh, chicken mixed in, and the guys will then uh, mix it in with some fresh fruits, vegetables, uh, and, you know, a assortment of different condiments. Uh, that's a typical post-race recovery meal. And then on top of that, we'll uh, give them about a liter and a half to two liters of, uh, of fluid, 
nut fluid will usually be uh, a simple fluid with electrolytes and sugars, uh, B vitamins, vitamin C, and uh, they're ready to go. Well, lastly, because I know you've got to go, you're, you're there in Monaco, and it's, it's about dinner time. Uh, question for you. Garmin Slipstream has really brought a very diverse and, and a very versatile squad to the race this year. Um, Tyler yeah. Farah, da- David Miller, Danny Pate, Christian Vandeveld, Bradley Wiggins, Dave Zabriskie. I mean, a really, really diverse squad. So i got to yeah. ask you, i got to put you on the spot. Any predictions sure. for this year? Um, I predict that we're going to have uh, the most successful tour uh, that we've ever had. Uh, even though it is our only only our second tour, I expect that uh, our performances will will definitely exceed our performances from last year. I expect to see us uh, win a few stages. Um, I expect to see us wear the yellow jersey uh, for some time, if not all the way to the finish. Uh, my expectations are, are are really huge, and I think that uh, regardless of whether or not they're realistic or not, uh, I try to imbue the athletes that I work with with the same level of expectations that we're here to win, that we're here to do. Um, as much as possible to, to get to that goal. And so for me, I've got uh, a huge belief in all of our athletes, and so I only expect us to, 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 to be the best team out here. Uh, whether or not that happens, that's up to the race, you know, but uh, we're going in with that mindset. Well, we'll all be watching, and, and Dr. Allen Lynn, I want to thank you so much for being on the Fredcast and wish you and the team uh, great success and great luck in this year's Tour de France. Thanks so much for being on the show. Sure, yeah, thanks for all the interest and thanks for all the support. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon, and uh, take care. By the way, I was able to get a hold of those recipes that we talked about. I'll be posting those up on the fredcast.com in uh, about sometime within the next 24 hours. I think that you'll find those really useful because they're great foods that you can take with you on a bike ride. And if They're good enough for bartering among the professional peloton. I think they're going to be good enough for your local club ride or your next century. Thanks so much to Dr. Alan Lim, Garmin Slipstream, and the folks at Cliff for putting that interview together. Well, next up, I have another interview for you, and this one also has something to do with the Tour de France. You know, over the last several months, we've had our Training with Ken segments, where Ken Wallace has shared with you what he's done to get ready for the Etape du Tour. I had the opportunity just about two days ago to sit down via Skype and have a conversation with Ken and with his coach, Rich Wharton, to find out about how far they've come over the last six or eight months in Ken's training as Ken gets ready to head over to France and to ride in this year's Etape du Tour. Well, joining us on the phone today are two special people to the show, two people who have been on the show before, but never at the same time. But we're going to have a good time tonight talking a little bit about training and a little bit about France and starting with the guy you've heard on the show for the last couple of months. It's Ken Wallace from the Training with Ken segments. Hey, Ken, how's it going tonight? Hey, David, great to be on the show. You sound, you sound fit. What can I say? <laughs> it's uh, all the torture that Rich has been putting me through. Well, speaking of Rich, also on the show tonight is Coach Rich Wharton from OnlineBikeCoach.com. Hey, Rich, how's it going tonight? I'm great, thanks. How are you guys doing? Good. See, see, Rich always sounds fit because that's his business. So uh, <laughs> I, I want to talk. He gets paid. That's right. I want to talk a little bit. I want to talk to Ken, I think, first and, and say, so Ken, just catch everybody up a little bit. Uh, what is it that we've been talking about on the show? What are you getting ready for and, and how do you feel? 
Well, in a, uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to be writing the Etape Tour. I'm headed off to France on Friday, and I've been prepping for it for about, oh gosh, five, six months now. And Rich has been my coach, and uh, as I've been reporting, I've, I've been making steady progress, and I feel great. So uh, tell everybody again what the Etape du Tour is. The uh, Etape Tour is a stage of the Tour de France, and every year they pick, um, I, I think it's typically a mountain stage, and uh, a week before the pros ride it, they open it to the public, they close off all the streets, and they let, uh, they let us amateurs have a go at it. And so uh, which stage are you doing, how long is it, how much climbing, and uh, how many people will you be riding with? This, uh, this stage, <clears throat> excuse me, this stage is the, the uh, second to the last stage, it's the Mont Ventoux stage, mm. and it's on July 20th, it's 172 kilometers, I believe the total climbing is a is roughly about 12,000 feet. Uh, there's four relatively short climbs um, and then Mont Ventoux at the end. And there's, I want to say, eight to 9,000 people that ride the ATAP each year. Now, is the ATAP a race? Is it more like uh, a sportive or a, cent- a century ride? What are people doing? I, I think technically it is a race. They give everyone a transponder and they record times. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's any prizes for the best time other than bragging rights. But there are people that take it very seriously and, and try to win it. Uh, for the rest of us, uh, I'm just treating it like I would uh, any other, you know, a century ride. Basically, I want to finish it. I want to finish it strong and with a reasonable time. But I have no illusions of competing with with the rest of the people that take it real seriously. Now, Rich, when, when Ken came to you, um, and, and Ken, I hope you won't get embarrassed because we're going to start talking about performance and things like that, but <laughs> when, when Ken came to you, I'm, I'm assuming he was like the, the rest of us out there. He was probably in halfway decent shape, but, but where was he and where did you want him to get to? Well, it's a good question. Uh, we started off in late December or early January with the goal to try and get him as much stamina and strength as possible. Uh, in preparation for the Etape de Tour, uh, and also, of course, the monster stage of Le Mont Ventoux. And Ken came in with a little bit, uh, he was slightly, and again, this is cycling related, but he was slightly overweight, and he was underperforming on his uh, wattage performance. So we decided that given the schedule that he had available, we were going to work out about three or four times a week indoors and try to make up the difference with some outdoor training when the weather permitted and when his schedule permitted. And largely, he followed the program except for a few weekends early in the spring when he, or late, you know, late winter, early spring when he got sick or had kid duties. And it really, um, it really came together starting in around the first or second week of May. And now here he is, uh, largely, uh, you know, I think he's ready to go. It's been really exciting to follow this. Now, Ken lives in Southern California, and the weather's really good. Uh, why? We've talked about this on the show before, but for, perhaps mm-hmm. for those who haven't heard, why train indoors if, if you're living in, you know, beautiful, sunny SoCal? Yeah, the reason that I continue to advocate indoor training is that it gives you an environment that is consistent both in location, time, and environment. It is safe because you don't have to worry about potholes, road conditions, or traffic, and it is more effective than anything else you can do in terms of bang per buck per minute. And if the, if the average rider is willing to sacrifice 
one or two or three days a week and ride indoors 60 to 90 minutes, they will accomplish, I would say, 90% of their overall cycling goals because they can make up the difference riding outside and the time that they don't spend going to a location where they can actually get their, up, you know, their, their hill climbs in or their sprints in, they can actually spend recovering and that enhances their performance more. I'll tell you, oh, David. Yeah, go ahead, Ken. Yeah, for me, uh, the biggest problem during the week is just finding the time. Mm. And, you know, I'm lucky to live somewhere where the weather is usually great. I've got hills fairly close to my house, so I can go out my front door and and start a ride and have a climb 10 minutes away if I want to climb or, you know, really whatever I want to do. But uh, it's just finding that time during the week. So riding indoors for me allowed me to come home after a day of work, have dinner, get the kids to bed, and I could hop on the CompuTrainer at, at you know, 9 or 10 o'clock at night if I had to. And um, that made the difference between getting rides in during the week and not getting them in. What about, what about the boredom factor? I mean, uh, how was it riding the CompuTrainer you know, for 60 or 90 minutes? Uh, well, I used the Erg Video DVD series, which I know I've talked about before. So... There's uh, you know some video entertainment, if you will. At least you're following some other riders, and you can kind of convince yourself that you're out on the road. Uh, but also, workouts interesting. You know, something different. It was intervals. It was time trials. It was uh, you know doing the threshold test every month. So just mixing up the workouts for me kept it interesting. So Ken, if if you don't mind my asking, where did you start? Uh, as far as performance and physiology, and, and where have you ended up? Well, I, like Rich said, I, um, I was a little overweight. I guess that's in cycling terms. I'm 5'9", and I weighed 165 pounds, so okay, my wife that's didn't it. think I'm I hanging was up overweight. On both of, no, 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 that's it. I'm hanging up on both of you. <laughs> Because I'm 5'10", and I'm not telling you how much I weigh. <laughs> Go on, Ken. David, hang in there. I know you're – David, we're going to get you back, okay? We're going to get you back. You had a good winter, and then you, and then spring so, happened, and everything got muddy. And you remember, Salt Lake's been pretty wet. So, you know, I, I, here I am as your coach providing excuses for you, but it's okay. I love it. We call my wife. All right, go ahead, Ken. That's what I – you know, I, I did I did the uh, wattage test, and I, I was at 193 was my functional threshold power, which is, you know, what you can do over an hour. Mm-hmm. And after whatever that is, six months now, uh, my weight is now at 148. And uh, I had a goal of 145, but I think that was unrealistically low because I'm, I'm pretty darn thin right now, and it isn't getting any lower. Um, and I tested at 225. So, you know, what that means for me is that just the wattage alone was, uh, I think I calculated a 16% increase in six months. But with dropping, with dropping the weight, it really becomes more like a 30% increase. So I don't know how Rich feels, but I'm, I'm pretty satisfied. Rich, is that, oh, is that I'm absolutely ecstatic. six months? Yeah, I'm ecstatic. I mean, this is one of those things that, that, that we need to look at in terms of, you know, here's an experienced recreational cyclist who was, you know, quite accomplished in terms of his ability to, you know, ride with the boys, but he wanted to take it to the next level. And this, you know, Ken followed the program. He worked on specific energy systems. He also increased his overall training volume and specificity, and he dropped his weight by 10%. He raised his threshold power by 16%, and as a result, his power-to-weight ratio 
which is a very good objective uh, way to measure things, went up by 30%. That means that every aspect of his cycling is going to be improved. His efficiency is improved. His ability to, to hang with the faster riders is going to be improved. He can climb stronger. Um, you know, it just helps with the whole overall picture of Ken's agenda. Now, you know, we may not see a 10% improvement in, in overall power for 170K over the four or five hills, the four or five mountain passes that are going to occur for the Etape du Tour, but I can guarantee you he is much better prepared than he would have been if he had basically gone out and ridden without any direction. Mm. That's why I think coaching is so effective. Is we had an agenda, we followed a protocol, and now he's going to roll into July relaxed, fit, strong, and efficient. Now, Ken, I, I saw a video that you did on your website when you were testing out a, web, uh, a helmet cam, and uh, it looked like Glendora Mountain Road. It might have been a different one, but I'm wondering, when you ride that now versus when you rode it six, eight months ago, uh, how much faster are, are you? And, and I don't mean that uh, objectively. I mean, it can be subjective. Do you feel better? Tell me about that. Well, you know, it's funny that you would pick that ride because um, although I wasn't timing myself six months ago, I did time myself up that ride about, so I think a month and a half or two months ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I did, and that was Chantry Flats, uh, okay. which is in the Arcadia area. I, I did that ride in 23 and a half minutes. And then just last week, I did it again. I did it in 21 minutes. So, um, you know, objectively, yes, I'm faster <laughs> and uh, have timed it. And, you know, one thing I think that I I did for a long, long time, just as a recreational cyclist, is you go out with your buddies and you ride and you kind of test each other and see who's faster, but pretty much you kind of hang together. Mm-hmm. And training this way has forced me to, you know, on the compu trainer, because Rich just keeps upping the, the wattage, you know, for the training as we go. And so it forces me to ride those workouts. And now I ride with the same group of people and I'm faster than they are. You know, I have to slow down and hang or I'll go up a climb and circle around and come back and, and come back down halfway and catch up with them again and do it again. So um, I think it's just training by yourself in a way pushes you more than training with a group of people that sort of, sort of stays at the same level. I, I don't know if you heard that click. That was me hanging up on you again. Um, oh. <laughs> Rich, yeah. I'm wondering, um, well, actually, let me go back to Ken for a second. Ken, when you get back, and I do want to talk about the atop again, but when you get back uh, after you do the atop du tour, uh, what's your plan? Are you planning on getting back on your compu trainer? Um, what are your future plans when it comes to training? Um, well, you know, I've and happily my wife isn't in the in the room right now, but I signed up for uh, Levi's Grand Fondo ride in October. <laughs> So I've got another big ride to uh, to look forward to. <laughs> so I guess the short answer is yes. So I have to keep training. <laughs> that's fantastic. No, that's great. Train. One of the things that Ken and I spoke about, David, and, and this is kind of interesting, I, I really I, I got lucky and I had the opportunity to actually meet Ken. Uh, most of my clients I have not had the privilege to meet. Uh, but I got to, you know, I, I got to meet you several years ago and then again this spring. Uh, when you were coming through Dallas, and then I uh, had the privilege of meeting Ken for the first time. Um, 
all my clients, uh, whether they remain clients or not, they stay my friends. And what Ken and I have spoken about is uh, the possibilities of Napa Valley rides or rides in Southern California in two ta- 2010 or since Ken goes to, goes to France every, uh, every year, give or take, uh, maybe trying to get a group together so that we could all do a tour in southern France, something like that. Um, you know, cycling is so much more than competition. Cycling is a, is, is a lifestyle uh, that requires uh, uh, a social agenda. And so there's nothing wrong with riding alone and riding indoors. I love it. I promote it. But I also love the fact that when you arrive at your destination uh, or even at the beginning of your voyage for cycling, uh, in this case, it would be southern France, you're going to arrive prepared. And so that makes the whole experience that much more pleasant. Um, one of the things that we joke about is that, that uh, you know, Ken has lost all this weight. Well, that means Ken gets to eat more free. You know, he gets to go. He gets to go and have more more of the good stuff that life uh, life offers in 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 French cuisine, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. So we've we've discussed about we've discussed some of that kind of thing in the future. And it's a little so I also think that that the 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 lifestyle for cycling and something this is something that I think his wife endorses uh, is is something that again it keeps Ken alive. It keeps me alive. I think it keeps you alive. And there are a lot more Freds out there than there are uh, Johnny Rockets, and I think that we will we will be working to um, affect that, to affect and grow that part of the cycling culture through performance training, uh, just because it makes you feel better and makes you live longer. Yeah, yeah, good point. Hey, Ken, so you're, you're headed off to France here soon. Um, you've got a couple of weeks before the atop. What are your plans? I mean, obviously, you're not taking your copy trainer over there. What are your plans when you're over there as you get closer to the event? Um, trying to stay away from from croissants and uh, brie for the first two weeks. <laughs> That's going to be the, the biggest challenge. Um, but I'm obviously, I'm taking my bike. So I'm, I'm not renting a bike. I'm, I'll be riding the bike that I'm comfortable riding. And... Um, uh, Rich has, has sort of got me on a, a you know, tapering uh, set of workouts that last week before the, uh, the attack. So I'm just going to just enjoy my time there, ride around the local hills and, and sort of take it easy that, that last week and, and uh, be well rested and, and ready for, for that, that day. Now, we, we joke about croissants and, we, and brie and, and good French wine and things like that, but what Rich are... Are, are good nutritional goals for Ken when he actually gets to the day of the ride and, and leading up to the day of the ride? Well, one of the things that uh, we're going to set Ken up with is a calorie protocol. Ken is actually going to take a power meter with him on the atop, and I believe he'll be able to post that, either post the results to his blog or maybe even on the Fredcast um, forum. I can't remember. But we have to look at replacing as many calories as we can get away with in order to survive the day. So it will be hot. It will probably be, uh, you know, humid uh, in the, in the, as the day wears on. And we're going to focus on trying to get Ken to consume basically anywhere. I'm going to try to up his calorie count so that he can consume between 300 and 400 calories per hour. That seems a little high. But there's a method behind my madness, which basically is you'd rather bank those calories than actually show up short on the final on the final climb. 
Now, I believe in the atop, you know, it is it is officially a race, but there are also places to kind of uh, stop and refill your water bottles and, and, and do some other things like that. But we are going to prepare him as if it was an endless day on the bike, uh, you know, sort of a racing simulation. So we're going to try to stay as hydrated as possible. We're going to try to keep him uh, going with carbohydrates and some amino acids. Uh, we are probably, I'm going to be sending him in the next year to a, a couple of uh, alkalizers to keep his, lactate, uh, his lactic acid values down um, uh, just through soaking it up a little bit. That'll probably buy him a few minutes on some of the hills. And then he basically uh, needs to put some heavy sunscreen on, make sure that he's protected from the sun. Uh, and then also, uh, the main thing he can do over the 10 days leading up to, and then the final day before is rest. Um, we all, as Americans, we lead high stress, high anxiety lives. And there are a lot of things that we can do to, to decrease our performance. There are not very many things we can do to increase our performance, but one of the best things we can do is sleep, nap, and sleep. So Ken will be uh, pursuing the seven to eight hour evening uh, rest. He will be riding and then recovering, uh, kicking his feet up, and I'm going to try to keep him off of his feet in terms of walking for tourism purposes as much as possible. Uh, lastly, the French are famous for their local uh, fruits and vegetables, and we're going to be consuming as many of those as, 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 as um, he and his wife can get cooked up. All I can say is I'm really jealous, guys. Can any any um, hesitation about the ride coming up, or is it just all excitement and you're just really looking forward to it? Well, you know, there's always a little bit of nervous time. I, I, I think that Rich has prepared me as best as, as he can, and I follow through as best as I can. So I'm as, I'm as prepared as I feel like I, I can be for it. Uh, I went out on Sunday and did, did a 70-mile ride. And it got pretty hot. It was uh, one of the first really hot days we've had here. So I'm expecting that the weather is going to be somewhat similar. Uh, and I felt really good at the end of 70 miles and had quite a bit of climbing. So I think I'm pretty pretty prepared. And, and uh, there'll be some adrenaline, I'm sure, on the day of the ride. So, uh, you know, it's, it's all good. Now, I know you've got your helmet cam. And I know that you also have the, the capability of, of doing some audio recording. I know... I'm really looking forward to hearing from you and seeing what the ride was like and hearing what, what the ride was like. And uh, I personally have really enjoyed having you come on and uh, on a periodic basis and, and letting the listeners know what it is you're doing because I think a lot of us have these big events that come up in our cycling lives and listening to how you've prepared for it has been very interesting to me. I've gotten a lot of emails from listeners who've enjoyed it as well. And, and Rich, uh, hearing from you how you helped prepare Ken has also been really interesting for the listeners as well. Uh, both of you, thank you so much for being on the Fredcast again. And uh, by the way, if you're looking for coaching, Rich is at onlinebikecoach.com. And if you're in the Dallas area, he can hook you up with some great indoor cycling classes as well. Gentlemen, great to have you on the show. Ken, uh, bon voyage, bon chance. Have a great time. And check in with us again here on the Fredcast and let us know how it went, would you? Well, I, I sure will. And, and thanks for having me, David. It's been fun sharing this with uh, you and your listeners. Oh, it's been great. And, Rich, thank you so much for coming on the show. And it sounds like you've done a great job for Ken. 
Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, chapeau, Ken. We'll see you at the top, okay? Merci. <laughs> All right, guys. Th thank you so much. Once again, apologies for just a little bit of audio glitches there. Skype is what Skype is, and, you know, that's just what we have to deal with. Hey, thanks so much to Rich and to Ken for coming on the show. Really looking forward to hearing from the two of them when they get back from France. And, Ken, good luck. It sounds like you've come a long way, and it sounds like you're going to have a great time. You know my advice. Enjoy the ride. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. Before we go, I want to thank our sponsors, Graham Street and Cyclo Club. Don't forget that great offer that Graham has going for you right now. Go to www.thefredcast.com and click that Cyclo Club link. Also, don't forget Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash cycling to download your free audio book and get your free two-week trial of Audible. And, of course, thank you for your donations. We couldn't do the Fredcast without it. Go to www.thefredcast.com, not only for all the info about the Fredcast and what we're doing here, but also to make your donations to the show. Thanks so much. We appreciate it. And of course, if you want to find out what we're doing here at the show and what I'm doing in my life traveling around the country for my day job, you can do that by following me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash fredcast. And of course, if you want to send me an email, the email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. You can also send a audio comment through the Fredcast listener hotline, and that number is area code 435-2586-FRED, 435-258-6373. Well, before we go, it's time, as always, to give you a little bit of pod-safe cycling music. For years now, I've been getting my pod-safe cycling music from the Pod-Safe Music Network at music.podshow.com, but... Podshow has changed their name to Mevio, M-E-V-I-O, and now we're getting our Podsafe music from music.mevio.com. Tonight's track is called Raise Your Hands. It's by the band Rock Kills Kid. There are links in the show notes to where you can find them on the Mevio site and also where you can find the song, the album, and the artist on iTunes. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Fredcast. It's going to be a very busy three weeks coming up. Get your sleep stored up now. There's a lot of bicycle racing to come in France. But between this week's show and the next, enjoy the music. But most of all, enjoy the ride.
Corazón 